Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Ellen Sarah's podcast. You guys, today is such an important episode. I think that there is, well, there's so many takeaways for people at all stages of life, for people that are parenting teens to young women to middle-aged women who are trying to balance being on social media, being on their phones, but also knowing when to put it down. People that are feeling stuck, um, not as high-functioning, not as just distracted. I mean, we're all distracted by our phones. And uh, so I have my bestie, Jen Meyer. She is here. And we spoke with Brad Marshall. He is the leading expert on internet addiction. He is the author of multiple books, including The Tech Diet for Your Child and Teen and How to Say No to Your Phone. He's the director of the Screens and Gaming Disorder Clinic in Sydney. Guys, this guy's like impossible to get into. So it's a miracle that we were able to spend two hours with him. Um, We talked about the signs of tech social media addiction, small changes we can make in our daily lives to be present, what all this tech is actually doing to our brain and mental health, how to set healthy boundaries with your phone and technology. The conversation, I'm telling you, it just, it applies to everyone. So make sure you listen all the way through. Send this to your friends who are navigating um, their teens and their kids and You know, this is even for people with no kids, just for yourself. This is truly an episode. Anyone that has a phone or knows someone with a phone, this is for you. Brad Marshall. Hello. This is a long overdue. This is an episode, I got to be honest. This is an episode as someone with a 13-year-old who is unequivocally addicted to social, addicted to her phone. And then also myself, who I am also addicted to my phone. I think this is an episode that is so important that I've been wanting to do. I've probably been a little nervous to do, but I do think there's a lot of shame around phone use and the way that we are with our kids. And I think we're all going through it. We're not all talking about it and being honest about it, but I think it's something we got to just talk about because we are we are ruining our kids' lives, like truly. And I, I know it and I see it and I feel it. So um, I guess let's dive the hell in. Okay. I mean, let's dive. I, I think that you've already hit an amazing point, um, which is the fact that as parents, we we don't talk about this enough with each other. We all put up this facade that we're all perfect with kids and their devices. You know, how often do you sit on the sideline of some sport team or something, even with my kids, and everyone claims that their kids are screen-free when the reality is the statistics and the studies that we do show that that's completely wrong. Um, so I think people and parents need to be more honest about it. And and that's why that's why I do podcasts like this or shows like this, because I think it helps break down that stigma for parents that we can talk about this. You don't need to feel shame about it. I mean, I'm so excited to be here and, you know, replace Aaron and anytime I can. I love her, but I really love this. And I would say that I have a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old, and Sarah and I were just having this conversation last week 
because it is that thing where it's like our kids have to have phones, especially as teenagers when they're out and about and it makes life so much easier for so many reasons. But, you know, it is a fine line. And it's also there. I mean, I, I want to talk about all of it because I, I think that with parent, there's, there's two sides to it. There's parenting and there's also just the kind of kid that you have because mm. some kids aren't interested in it. My 17 year old daughter doesn't care. My 14 year old, yep. I th- feel like the phone is super glued to his hand. Right. And I've parented them pretty much both the same way. And then, so you, you got to, it's, it's an interesting balance, you know, and not shaming each other or not feeling guilty that you let your kid be on the phone. And also I think it's pretty hard at this day and age, not to give quote unquote screen time. I mean, God bless the people that are able to, but it's a, it's a challenging, a challenging, you know, task. Yeah, absolutely. I look, what I would first say is that I'm a, I'm under no illusions that people need technology in this world. Um, I use technology. My kids use technology. It's not like I'm advocating that we all go off grid and get some farm and we just stick our heads in the sand. But there has to be some balance in there, and that word is used a lot. Um, but, I, Jen, I think you've raised a really good point. I see this all the time in my clinic as well because I still work um, in my clinic one or two days a week uh, just so I can continue to see families. And... I see this all the time in the clinic, parents that come in and say, look, you know, um, I, I parented number one and number two the exact same way as number three, uh, but their response to technology or gaming or social media or phones or any screen is just completely different. What's wrong with number three? You know, like like there's something is broken or something. It, no, no, it's just statistically that's how the prevalence rates are when you look at the research. Um, the pre- prevalence rates suggest around the world in most Western countries uh, that somewhere between two to three percent of kids have a gaming disorder, um, as defined by the World Health Organization. Um, that is exactly what we found in the latest study at Macquarie University, where my research lab is. Uh, and that was a study of 2,000 kids that uh, were aged 10 to 14. So that's a pretty young cohort. Now, the US, uh, North America, Canada, you know, most Western countries find similar stuff. And then you also find that somewhere between 10 and 20% um, have a smartphone addiction, uh, social media addiction, if you will. And what's fascinating about that, and I know this is pretty topical in the US right now from what I can understand, you know, with all these sort of class actions and everything, is that uh, 5% of kids have a smartphone addiction, even though they're in elementary school, right? Primary school is what we call it here in Australia, five to 12 years old. I mean, how is that possible? Because legally, they're not even supposed to have it. So it's just baffling to me that there are some families that are getting the balance right. And, and a lot of kids don't need that guidance, as you said, Jen. You know, we should remember 60 to 70% of kids will navigate this just fine. But that's a big number on the other end, right? If we just look at even Australia, we have 5 million kids in school in, in this country. 3% means 120,000 have a bona fide gaming disorder. And in this country, we do nothing. There's no help for them. Uh, there's no clinical help. There's no research. There's no access to anything. So I, I'm not 
you know, completely across how the treatment services are in America, but I know that it's a struggle as well. And you can put the same statistics overlaid on American kids and um, it's a real concern. No, like I think, I think that, that it is along the lines, the level of addiction that it is with drugs in some ways. I think that it's affecting the quality of life, right? You know, you're an alcoholic when the, your quality of life is being affected. I think a lot of these kids are, are, I mean, I'm somebody that, I mean, by the way, look at us. We are adults. Totally. totally. When we can't, when we can't find our phone, yeah. uh, nothing, you've Freak never out. seen a, you've never seen a woman move, <laughs> move her body more than when she can't find her, but she's on the floor, she's bending backwards. She's yeah. the most flexible person you've ever seen in your life looking for that phone. You know, I mean, we, we're going to talk mostly about kids, but I think we got to dive into, uh, there's got to be some connection with kids emulating their parents. You know, I am someone who is on my phone and it's actually interesting not having Aaron here because we have a very different relationship with technology. Aaron is, and I want to talk about the connection between self-esteem and addiction, phone addiction, because Aaron is someone who has really high self-esteem. I am somebody who has more on the low self-esteem. So I, I would imagine I'm on it more because it's engaging my dopamine more and it's, it makes me feel good and all the things. Aaron could literally live without it. Aaron will mm. put her phone down and not even go to it for, for hours and hours. She never posts on Instagram. I have to force her. I'm like, can you post on Instagram? We have a business. So I'm, there's got to be like a ton of connections, right, between... No, you, you picking up what I'm putting. Yeah. Out? Oh no, I absolutely am. I, I, I just didn't want to cut you off on your trail there, Sarah. Um, <laughs> look, there's so many different ways we can go with this. I'll, I'll try and keep it um, at a bit of a broad level at the start and you can dive in if you want, but fundamentally uh, you mentioned dopamine. And if we just look at the, you know, functional MRI scan studies that we have and, the, and what we know, and let's focus on adults here for a minute. What we know is that the areas of the brain that light up when you use your smartphone or gaming or screens, and I use those terms interchangeably, okay? let's not get too bogged down on, you know, like a certain type of game is way better than a certain type of social media or anything. Um, there's some evidence for that, but it's it, it doesn't really make that much difference in a clinical world. So fundamentally, we know that the areas of the brain that light up are very similar to other addictions. Now, I don't want to sit here and go, oh my gosh, this Brad Marshall guy from Australia, you know, he says that like, you know, smartphones are like heroin or something. Like there's not enough evidence to go down that strong. But we do know that areas of the brain that light up are similar. What we also know is that the chemical reward system, dopamine, uh, is very similar. So dopamine, of course, is is in all sorts of feel-good stuff, right? Um, chocolate, lollies, sex, all sorts of stuff. The problem with the way that it's delivered to you via technology is that it's a whole bunch of micro hits. It's the anticipatory dopamine. It's not the actual dopamine. And so what that means is that you never actually crescendo. You never actually are satisfied. And that's the way that the algorithms work. That's the way that apps work. And they're designed for that, right? I mean, we can go down that path and talk about persuasive design later. But fundamentally, there's a reason that some people do get more stuck on that, as you said. So there are links to self-esteem, uh, there are links to all sorts of different stuff, anxiety, depression, et cetera. You know, we just had Senate hearings um, with Mark Zuckerberg 
recently talking about, how, you know, essentially denying that there's any association with mental health, um, which he, he got himself tied in knots, if you, if you want to see that, uh, answering that question, because he knows full well there are. One of the other issues here for, for us as adults is that we don't know who to listen to. And so there will be influences out there that say, for your kids, it's fine, don't worry, or for you, it's fine, you know, all these people are crazy. And and you you really have to follow the money, right? Because when you look into it, a lot of these people, they, their trails lead back to the tech industry. So there's a reason that they're saying that. And they don't even fight it these days by saying that there's no issues. They fight it with these opaque comments like, you know, oh, it's minimal, or we're not 100% sure that it's linked to that, or it could be, but it's a coincidence. And, you know, every time in Australia or in Europe, if I'm uh, in a political conversation, which I try to steer clear of, but um, uh, last year I was sitting down with the Premier of New South Wales. It's like the equivalent of a governor, right, of um, of, of California for you guys. And we were talking about a, a phone ban in schools, which we did. Uh, we banned phones in schools. Um and, you know, it's very telling when you have industry peak bodies, gaming industry, tech industry, people sitting at that table and they say nothing. There's a reason they say nothing. They don't need to say anything because there was nothing being said at that meeting that concerned them in the slightest, right? So it, I know I'm going a bit more conspiracy theory here, but it, it does go pretty deep on that level. I feel like this conversation will mainly... I would imagine be focused on social media and those types of apps because mm -hmm. I am so not well versed in gaming, but I know I have friends who not only have sons completely addicted to the Fortnites of the world, yeah. but also their husbands. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say this is just like a male female thing. I'm sure there are females addicted to the gaming, but I, I have women who are like, we're not going on our date night because my husband is, he's so obsessed with finishing this level of blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's trickling into all, but I just don't know a lot about the gaming because my day-to-day -day struggles are obviously with myself, mm. but then with my, with my 13 year old daughter who I have to imagine it's like, there's something missing for her on an emotional level that she feels the need to be so distracted by whatever is happening on her phone. Yeah. I mean, so there, there are many different reasons why people go down that rabbit hole um, and, and teenagers as well. At the most basic level, as we talked about, dopamine is a pretty big one. Um, at the end of the day, uh, even for me, if you stick a whole bunch of chocolate, you know, ice cream, pizza in the kitchen and you say to my kids, don't eat that now. I mean, there's a fair chance that they're going to come down and they're, they're going to be eating that. Right. So you touched on this before, Sarah. The whole notion that, you know, because some parents like to talk about this, well, you know, it's a technology world. And so uh, we, we, they need to learn how to manage their own use. And so we should just give it to them and they've got to figure it out. It's just, it's neurologically laughable. It's so far from where we should be. That's like saying, okay, well, your daughter's 13. So let's give her keys to the car and some alcohol and let her eat what she, whatever she wants to eat. It's crazy. And so... Um, on a social media level, there's the dopamine hit that comes from that. Um, and then there's some also, I, I won't cover them all, but I'll just cover a few here. So some of the persuasive design elements that you're probably familiar with, but the first one being social comparison theory. So basically what that says is 
anything said online has a bigger cognitive salience or emotional pull than anything said in person. And if we just think about that, um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're both of a similar generation to me. Anything said that's mean or, or not so nice or bullying or whatever it is at school or in the schoolyard or the cafeteria, or wherever, that's one thing, but it stays at school, right? And it's not as powerful because it's said in person. You, it, you don't go paranoid as to who else has heard that and who else has seen that. If it's said online, your brain goes full-blown social comparison theory here. And so the hyper-personal effect is a similar one where, you know, the pull of what is being said online, we know is is quite harsh. But my personal favorite and the one that I think actually has the most impact on social media is something called the Ziegenik effect. So Ziegenik was this um, old school sort of Russian psychiatrist in the 70s that coined this term saying that we as humans require a social conclusion to any social interaction, a logical conclusion to any social interaction. So as you might've noticed in psychology, we put like really fancy terms on things, but it's kind of just common sense, right? <laughs> kind of makes us sound important if we do that. So really we just need to know what the, what the conclusion is in any social interaction. So think through here and I'll challenge both of you. What have social media apps and phone apps done to play on the Ziegenik effect, to get a logical conclusion to any social interaction? Jen, I mean, that? where my and I'm I'm definitely like trying to catch up. Maybe I'm not so smart, which is which is fine. I'm learning so much here. I mean, you went to college. You at least went barely. To college. I didn't. I didn't. I go dropped to college. out. That's I dropped true. out. But we figured it out. We figured it out. <laughs> figuring it out. But the first thing my mind went to is when you're saying there's you know having a conclusion in a social in a social you know atmosphere or whatever. The first right. thing that my brain went to was, okay, so kids are on social media. Some teenager posts some picture. Someone comes in and says something shitty, right? Then all of a sudden, you're, you're being bullied or whatever somebody has said, it doesn't feel good to you. Then our natural reaction, whether, even adults, is to write back, you know, write back at you, whatever you're going to say to some another comment. And everybody's one-upping each other. It's really hard to let something go because you're not having the conclusion rather than maybe just looking at something and having the ability to be like, wow, that person must have a lot of time on their hands that they're being so rude on social media. So it starts this in the negative way. I mean, listen, it, it can do positive things also. I've met some great people. I've had some amazing conversations. It's opened my world in different ways. But from the negative side, you're not having that conclusion. You don't know that person. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know if they know friends of yours. And then all of a sudden the world, as you feel it or see it, and by the way, being being a teenager and being in high school, your world is that. And you don't know that there's another world out there. But feeling like people are exposed to your dirty laundry well, there's a very big difference between a girl coming up to you at school and saying, mm -hmm. you copied, you copied my hairstyle, right? Okay. Right. That's, right. That, that's not bullying. That's just kind of like bitchy, kind of whatever. Like you copied my hairstyle, but then she goes on TikTok and says, mm -hmm. Valentina copied my hairstyle. And that, that, yep. that sucks. That hurts. But then you, it's the comments. Oh my God. What a yep. copycat. Oh my God. What a loser. Oh my God. I always knew she wanted to be like you. Oh my God. And then you are, this actually happened by the way. So this actually happened to my daughter and she doesn't listen to this podcast. So I think it's okay. 
But the level of like I but became that, that girl's mother does. <laughs> Honey, you know who you are if you're oh, listening. Yes, you do. <laughs> I'd like to suggest some parenting parenting uh-huh. classes for you. Sorry, but, I'm but just the like, best friend that, you know, has to support. <laughs> just jumping in there <laughs> no, for your friends. But saying in person, you copied my hair, right? That is not yeah. that is that's just that does you can not work carry that out. the weight. You can work that out. But hmm. enter the internet enter social media Mm. it is the magnitude is times a thousand yeah yeah so what you're both the example you gave jen and and the one that you followed up with is an example of hyper personal effect how anything said online has that bigger pull than said in person but where it intertwines with the zeganic effect that logical conclusion do you remember about oh geez i'm getting old now maybe it's like seven or eight years ago when all of the phone and tech companies and messenger apps and, and the social media apps they all allowed you to see when a message was read, what time it was read, who read it. Yeah. Well, you can, well, I think you can still do that. No, of course you can. Yeah, of course you can. Oh, but oh, my oh. point is they brought it out six or seven years ago, oh. right? That's an example of the Ziganic effect. Your brain goes into full-blown overdrive. Jen read my message. She read it an hour ago. What's wrong with her? Did I say something wrong at lunch? Is she mad at me? What's happening here? Right? And so what happens is... You know, we get told by the tech companies, by social media companies, oh, don't worry, you know, you just shouldn't have your phone in your room at night. It's like, yeah, sure. Well, the Ziganic effect has me getting up every three minutes looking at it. So even for me, I've been working this field for 15 years as a clinician, as a researcher, as a speaker, as an author. But even for me, I know I am no match for any of this stuff. So my wife has my passcode to screen time. So I have 20 minutes of social media a day. And she has the passcode and my phone doesn't sit by my bedside. I had to get one of those like charging stations on the other side of our room and go and put it over there so that if I, like, I I literally have to do a walk of shame to walk over to my phone because I know that I'm just not, even as an adult, I'm not going to be able to stop that pull of the Ziganic effect and everything else because we want that conclusion. Let me ask you a question because I... Um, the opposite of that. It's terrible. I have my phone next to my bed. I go to sleep, like looking at my stuff, my texts, my emails, social media. I wake up. I try and have like five minutes of like, don't pick up your phone. Just like think good thoughts, meditate. And then you don't go a full five minutes. You don't go a full five minutes. I said, I try, Sarah. I try. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're, we're here to be honest on this podcast. Yeah. I don't need to mediate and break you two up here. Go to sleep talking to Sarah while I'm scrolling Instagram on the phone with her, having a conversation. Mid-conversation, I'll be like, wait, holy shit, did you see da-da-da-da-da? It's normal, right, for us. I guarantee you we're scrolling Instagram always while we are on the phone with with each other. So let me ask you a question. Hmm. Those moments for you, that how you've shifted your life, give like an example or two how you feel your life is better because of it. Like that we can understand, you know, like, did you feel like your wife and you got closer? Did you feel, you know, that like, oh, you guys I know like- where you're going with this. Are you <laughs> hooking up more? Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm just saying like you get in bed with somebody, like it's very easy for a couple to just get on their phone, turn over, yep. go to sleep. Like, did you find your intimacy got better? Did you find that like, what, what were your, how, how did, were you spending different time with your children because you weren't scrolling social media? I don't know. Like, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, like, no, no. That, that's a really good question. It is a good question. That's a really good question. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to dodge the intimacy question because my wife is telling me to answer that one here. Intimacy could be just talking to each other, talking about the day, watching a show, reading a book together. You know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, I'm not. I mean, I mean, look, there are times definitely where we spend more time together um, because of that. I mean, the classic one is just watching a TV show, right? And, And just, I'm talking like mindless, you know, sort of reality stuff that just to, to switch my head off. Um, it's one thing to be sitting there watching a movie with your family or a, or a TV show with your partner or whatever it may be, and then just be scrolling. And you look over and you go, oh, did you see that? No, I didn't see it, right? And and it's just it, it the, the relationship, even though you're watching TV but you're on your own screens, is a problem. But to give you a really good example, the reason I do it at night is because I, I need sleep. I get super grumpy if I don't have eight hours sleep. And I, I typically, as so I'm sure Sarah. Both of you do. No, Sarah, very grumpy. <laughs> well, I, I, I just, I have these jam-packed days that are just, you know, sort of bookended with um, my many different hats, as I'm sure you guys do as well. Um, and so I just, I can't afford, if I'm trying to get to sleep at like 9.30, I'm, I, I, 9.30, I wake up at like 5. If I'm trying to get to sleep on time, but I spend half an hour reading through messages from the fantasy football group that I have with my mates because they're talking about some guy who scored a goal today and the Zeganic effect has that endless loop because it never finishes, right? Those, those group chats, there is no conclusion. They just keep going, yeah? It's been going for five years. It's still going. It will be going in five years. <laughs> so there's no conclusion to it. And so if I then am up until 10, 10, 30, 11, I just don't get enough sleep and it has a domino effect on my day the next day. But to give you another example of how it improves my life, um, I'll give you an example. So our kids here, uh, I've got a seven-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. Um, Seven-year-old's going on 17. She's pretty sassy. So I think I'm in trouble for my teenage years, but you guys might know more about that than I do. Um, And they do uh, surf lifesaving here. All the kids go down to the surf lifesaving club um, uh, on the beach and they teach them. It's a sport, essentially. They teach them how to jump in the ocean, how to read the waves, how to ride boards in, all this stuff. It's amazing. So, yeah, we call it nippers is what it's called, right? And so both my kids at our beach, which is just down the road, they'll go to nippers on a Sunday morning. You look around, and again, this is not a, you know, not a criticism of other parents, but it was me as well. All these parents taking photos of their kids, but then they're also just on an email or on a call. They're doing something else. And I'm like, this is an hour and a half of pure bliss. You get to see your kids when they actually want you to see them because they're still young enough. They don't hate me yet. Right. And so you get to see them in an environment that you'll never get back. And I didn't want to have my phone there. I truly didn't about two years ago. So I bought a smartwatch and I know stay with me here because I know this sounds counterintuitive, but I ripped everything off the iPhone, the, the Apple watch everything off it. It can message, it can phone call. It's like I've got a Nokia 3210 again, right? Remember those things? And so I just have this watch on there in case someone really needs to contact me. There's music, messages, and and a phone call, and that's it. And I look like an absolute idiot walking around on a phone call doing these ones, right? But it doesn't matter. I don't need my phone. So to answer your question, Jen, I do think that there are elements of my life that have improved, but I have to work so hard to do that, to achieve that, because all of these persuasive design elements will continue to want to pull you back in. And they're very good at it. That's a really great tip for people. Um, And I never looked at it like that, the the, the watch, right? Because my anxiety a lot of the time comes from like, 
oh God, what if this person has to get a hold of me? Or like, what if I right. miss that important call? Or what if I, it's not like, oh God, oh God, oh God, I have to look on Instagram. I look on Instagram because it's there, right? But mm. if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be like spiraling about it, but I do spiral about not being able to be gotten a hold of. So you saying that reminded me of a couple months ago, it was one of my daughter's first um, volleyball practices. And I was sitting there and I was doing emails, texting, looking on my Shopify, you know, cause that's another huge addiction of mine. I have my Shopify on so I can see when anyone buys something from favorite daughter and it is addicting as shit. Okay. I'm completely addicted to, I mean, talk about a dopamine hit. It's like mm. people purchasing in real time and me seeing, right. And I looked around, every parent was engaged, every parent, no parent had their phone. And I started, I had like such shame come over me of like, oh my God, here is it, here it is 45 minutes. I've literally looked up like three times and no other parents had their phone. And I instantly felt like a terrible mother and a total narcissist for needing to be on all these things. And I'm going to get a freaking watch today. I'm getting a watch today. No, I'm serious. And every time I'm at volleyball, every time I'm at tennis, my phone is staying in my car, but if, and I'm going to have my watch, that is a commitment I am making today. Nice. Good. Good for you. And, and I think, I think again, just be careful then strip everything you can off the watch that you don't need. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself that question of what do I actually need? You leave it in your car and there's, it's only 45 minutes, Yeah. but some of those moments, uh, I'm not trying to sound sappy here, but they're amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I watch my daughter's basketball team. They're horrible. They get beaten by like 40 points every game. Bless them, right? I mean, they scored a, they scored a basket recently and they all started celebrating and like doing this high five chanting that the other team went the full length of the court and scored while they were celebrating. And it's so bad, but it doesn't matter. It's amazing to watch it. And so I think we all need to make intentional choices. We need to accept that the devices that we have, especially our phones, but all devices are addictive. They are. That's the reality of it. And none of us are, are great at, at fighting that. And so we need to find what works for us. And during COVID, this became more and more apparent to me. I mean, in Australia, we had lots of lockdowns here and everything. And, you know, everyone was working from home. I'm sure it was similar in the States. And it's changed the landscape. And so in the last three or four years, I found myself working at these huge companies, right? Like global companies. What was it? Recently at um, Ernst & Young. You guys have Ernst & Young, don't yeah, you? Like the big yeah. Thing. yeah. I was there. You know, they have 11,000 staff in, the, in Australia. And um, we had 1,000 people zoom into this session about a sustainable tech diet. And this, this amazingly intelligent um, person told me afterwards, she said, hey, listen, one thing that I'm going to do is I, I found myself on my morning walk with my dog. And it was supposed to be my 45 minutes where I just sort of zone out and I walk on the beach with my dog and I, I get some relaxation. I take my phone because I want music. But hearing you talk, I've just realized for the last year, all I do is spend time on emails and social media. And I can't even tell you the last time I remember the walk with the dog. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna change that. And these are all these are all sort of like we're all, you know, the typical line I use in organizations for busy working parents is. We need to learn how to harvest technology and not let technology harvest us. That's the bottom line. That's the new frontier. So 
So in line with always trying to bring you guys healthier options, more thoughtful options in all aspects of life, let's discuss Good Chop. So I basically, I'm in a place in life where I've, I just don't even go to the grocery store anymore. Thank God, because I hate going to the grocery store for multiple reasons. I am now fully on meat delivery. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of the highest quality meat and seafood delivered right to your door on schedule. Everything is vacuum sealed, frozen. It's the peak freshness, okay? You go online, you pick between over 70 high quality cuts. It's 100% grass fed, the ribeyes, the USDA prime, the filet mignon, the free range organic chicken breast, pork tenderloin. By the way, the bacon is insane. Get your bacon. This is probably my favorite bacon. And this is just to name a few. There's Pacific cod, scallops, shrimp, all the things. Your life is going to change. I mean, your, you know, grocery shopping, food, cooking life is going to change when you start giving getting this stuff delivered. You know, the days of like, shoot, I have to run to the market because I don't have any blah, blah, blah. That's over because it's all going to be in your freezer. So go to goodchop.com slash foster. 120 and use the code foster120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code foster120 at goodchop.com slash foster120 for $120 off goodchop.com slash foster120 code foster120. All right, guys, I know I'm a broken record. I know I am. You know what I'm about to talk to you about. AG1. AG1 in one scoop is 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, your probiotics, your green superfood, all the things you really need to be on that optimal baseline immunity health. My number one first thing in the morning before my coffee. I also, you know what I think? Coffee is so dehydrating. So when I start my morning off with the scoop of AG1 in my water, I chug it down and then I go to my coffee, I feel way less dehydrated. And most importantly, I look less dehydrated because there's nothing more unattractive than dehydrated skin. So if there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why we've been partnering with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash foster. That is drinkag1.com slash foster. Check it out. Okay. So Brad, how do you know if... You are someone who is using social media appropriately. It's moving the needle in your business. It's keeping you connected. How do you know if you have a healthy relationship with your phone or if you or your children are addicted? How, how do so you let's know? round off the adult stuff first and then, and then maybe we can dive into the kids stuff. Um, I mean, fundamentally, you have to look at is it impacting areas of your life? You can look at an arbitrary screen time number um, but it's not a great indication, right? Because as you said, Sarah, if, if all of your business is online, then you may need to be online. But 
Think about is it impacting areas of your life? Okay, so think about sleep. I mentioned before for me is a big one. Is it impacting exercise? Is it impacting your relationships? Because if you're not, you know, watching your your daughter's volleyball and you really want to, then that's a problem. Now, you may say, well, that's during, you know, business hours and so there's not much I can do about that. But that's really what it boils down to there. I don't I, I don't read as much. I used to read one to two books a month. Right. I don't. I, I really seldom read. Yeah. And I, I think that's I get my common. news. I get my news on X. Yeah. You know, I get my news on Twitter. I get, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, yeah, we, we, we have to really think about how each of us wants to interact with technology and what your goals are, because I don't see my goal, my job as being some sort of moral compass for everyone and telling them how many hours they should be on per day. All I do is ask people to reflect on what they want. You know, I call it a tech manifesto. What, what, what do you actually want out of this? Um, what do you want to change? And that's up to you. And then I can help people with how to actually implement that. Because ironically, most of the tools that the tech and the phone companies have and the, and the social media phone companies have to manage your tech use, they don't work. <laughs> like, you know, again, we'll go down this conspiracy path. They don't work for a reason, right? They, they It's their token, um, you know, let me just roll out screen time or some other version of that uh, to make it like I'm being a good you know, moral company, but they don't usually work. If they did, we would see our screen time going down, not up. Okay. So how many hours a day is appropriate, would you say? Or is it just so uh, not a one size fits all situation? Yeah, it's not a one size fits all, um, especially for adults, right? I mean, if you take someone who works in, I don't know, what if they're a digital marketer, right? right? Uh, or, or they work in cybersecurity. Um, because we're not just looking at phone or social media or 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 or, or um, we look at total amount of screen time. So it's very difficult because what happens here is what you'll find is that if you say, well, I'm not going to use, you know, X much anymore and I'm going to put a screen time ban on that, what you'll probably do is just spend more time on TikTok or more Instagram, right? And And that's not really a net gain in anything. It doesn't mean you're more present at your daughter's volleyball game. So we have to look at screen time totally. And what it boils down to is putting some bumpers around that um, in meaningful ways, like I said, around sleep, around family time, around exercise, to really just let yourself relax. The big one here is on holidays, right? Um, How many people do you see that are on holidays, but they're just stuck on their phone and then they get back and they feel like they're completely burnt out still, Um, which is why so many people go to places that don't have great Wi-Fi, ironically. Really? You know, it's so crazy. It's like you think about we don't really know or do we know the real true trauma and effects that it's going to have on our kids, right? Like we're we're seeing it. Of course, we're seeing it. But it's like I'm so sad for our kids that they will never experience. And again, some parents have this shit on lock and their kids are not on social media until a certain age. Like I know like Jen Garner, like didn't let her kids have it till they were like 15. But, but like our kids, they don't know what it's like to be bored. They don't, I mean, every time my daughter is with her friends, like five of them, they'll all be sitting around. They're not talking to each other. Who was that? Where was that quote that they were talking about? Like, you know, what boredom did, like the person that was bored 
picked up a guitar and became the best guitarist in the world. The person that was bored just started writing and became the best writer in the world. Like you don't know what your talents are probably unless you're bored at times, you know, you're you're speaking my language, both of you, because I, so um, my first book, the tech diet for your child and teen um, came out in 2019. And that was one of the fundamental things I wrote for parents is why is it so bad for kids to be bored? At what point did we decide that it was not okay for our kids to be bored? I let my daughter be bored the other day, um, seven-year-old. You know what she did? She made her own board game. She came back yeah. and said, hey, Dad, will you play this board game with me? Now, the rules were completely like, <laughs> I don't know what it was. I lost pretty easily. But you're right, Jen. I mean, there is something in that. And let's just start at the beginning of your question there, Sarah, about um, what do we know or do we fully know the extent of the impacts on our kids? I would say yes and no. So if you ask any bona fide health or medical or psychology expert in this area, they will tell you there is a pretty clear picture, okay? The problem is that gets diluted by other experts that will be all over social media and everything that tell you that that is wrong. And and that's like so many things, right? I mean, you can apply that to a whole bunch of different issues at the moment. But let me just tell you what someone you know, I'm, I'm a terrible academic. I, I, it's not my forte, but I, I sort of dabble in that stuff in the research lab. Let's just look here at a base level, what happens in in your brain as a kid. So, and I'll, I'll try not to go too deep on this because it gets pretty boring. But on a base level, when you have a baby that's three months old, they have neurons that are making neurological pathways. Okay. So in their brain, they're kind of like these little leafs that are that are connecting and they're making things for you know talking and eating and saying goo goo gaga type stuff by the time they're six months they've doubled and by the time they're 12 months they've doubled again they just keep doubling these neurons just become this massive spider web of this highway firing everywhere and by the time they're three they max out at that it is this incredible spider web picture from the age of three they start a process of called neural pruning which fundamentally is a use it or lose it system neurologically. So what that means is anything they don't need goes out the door, not just as a skill, but neurologically out the door. And so just think about how this impacts kids with screens. If you're not doing stuff, sport, social communication, reading body language, reading emotions, And there's even a case to say for adults as well, like doing only socializing via Zoom or via video or online is is not great. But if you're not reading social cues, if you're not reading emotions, if you're not dealing with any of this, you use it or lose it. You don't get those neurological pathways. They become hardwired as you get older and older, right? So what I'm saying here is the earlier we have access to screens and social media and we give into that persuasive design, There is a neurological basis here for that where you don't get that stuff back and it's really hard to get it back at that point. Okay, so is it fair to say that if you're a parent listening to this and if you do not have boundaries around screen time, you are fucking up? I mean, yes. 
Um, so, so let me just give you, so there was an American study in 2019 that did a functional MRI scan um, of 10,000 kids. And if anyone wants to look it up, the surname is Paulus, P-A-U-L-U-S, I think, 2019, Google Scholar. Um, and what they found is that when you go between two and seven hours of screen time a day for kids, is it has cognitive impacts, okay, um, thinking and, and attention, concentration, et cetera, behavior. When you go over seven hours of screen time a day, they could measure the brain cortex thinning prematurely. It's neurological impacts on a brain wow. scan when you go over seven hours a day or more. Now, here's the kicker. The average American is now up around, teenager, sorry, is now up around eight and a half or nine hours a day. In my latest study in Australia, the average Australian teenager is doing nine and a half hours a day. The average. So... Remember at the start when I said to you both, don't buy into this whole, like everyone on the volleyball court, every other parent is telling you their kids don't use screens. That's not what the research says. So unless they're the exception, that's probably not true. No, that's, or Jen, you were going to say something. Well, I was going to, I was going to say a couple things. Um, I was going to say, so Sarah's right. If you're not giving your kid boundaries, you're fucking up. I am very bad at boundaries. I am very bad at punishments. I am very bad at... Um, you know, setting limits, I would say with my kids. With that said, my, I, and I, I haven't really needed to in certain instances, like my daughter's 17. She doesn't have a curfew. She never sleeps out, is always home. All her friends come here and has never stayed out past a crazy time ever. So that's just how it works for us. She also is, I mean, you know, she's got her stuff. She's a 17-year-old teenager. She's also the kid that leaves her phone in the kitchen and it'll be three hours buzzing, buzzing, buzzing. And I'm like, Ruby, your phone keeps going off. And she's like, honestly, I do not care. I'm reading my book. I don't even want to hear what's happening wow. out there. She's Good just, for her. I Totally. I'm right, the so opposite. that's clearly someone that is just innately like that. Because, yeah. right, that's just who she is. She'd rather read a book on a Sunday. And by the way, she's got friends. She does things. She always has plans. She'd rather read a good book on a Sunday. And I'm a terrible reader. I I have a hard time sitting down and reading a book. She'd rather read a book on a Sunday than be on her phone and doesn't want it near her because she's like, it's too stressful. She's not interested. My son, and, and I never gave any boundaries on phones with her. And she's she doesn't want it. Hmm. My son is the opposite. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? Hold on, hold on. I, I was telling Sarah the other day, he was in the shower and he left his phone out on the counter. And I looked over at his phone. He was in the shower for like 15 minutes. And to your point, Brad, about the group texting, mm -hmm. I looked over at his phone. There were about, I think it was 75 text messages just from a group chat that he hadn't opened yet. And he was in the shower for 20 minutes. I was like, oh, my God, how could a kid at 14 years old think about doing homework, think about sitting at dinner, all these things. So it's like with him, it there has to be boundaries. With her, I'm like, don't you want to check your phone? You know, but the yeah. only, and the one other thing I want to say is when you said, Sarah, like if you're not giving your kid boundaries, you're fucking up, which I agree. The one thing I never did that's, you know, I try not to be a judgmental parent because I understand parents want like a nice dinner. But when you are going to dinners and you are seeing these kids, two, three, four, with an iPad sitting in front of them, 
while they're at this dinner table. That's one thing I never did. There was never an iPad or a phone with a show at the and dinner Jen, table. That's, that's the neuron stuff that I'm talking about, right? That the whole point of sitting there, because I'm the same way with, with dinners with my kids, right? I would have a far better Me dinner too. if I gave them an iPad. My wife and I could have a glass of wine and actually talk, right? It would be far easier. But at the end of the day, they're learning valuable skills there. They're learning how to be patient for their food. They're learning how to do other things. They color or they go on the playground. And that's and really important for their neural, de- right? Social development. They're learning things that are so important for those neural pathways. I am so triggered when I see toddlers. I am the worst when it comes to a lot of things, but to also like Jen, and it's not like, I think Jen and I, you know, we like need our medals because we, we need our medals because we're like, we, we do do some things right when it comes to social media, one mostly thing. wrong. <laughs> one, <laughs> one, thing. one thing, but I am really triggered when I see little children at the restaurants. I, that is also one thing I never. Well, I would rather you have a full-blown meltdown, you know, have your three-year-old have a full-blown meltdown and I'll be sympathetic and go, you know what? That's really tough. I hope you guys are okay. I don't, but it's, look. A couple of years ago, I went to, um, I took the family to SeaWorld on the Gold Coast here and it was just amazing. Anyway, walking around with my my, my little Apple Watch right around SeaWorld um, and seeing a three-year-old in a pram with an iPad at SeaWorld, I'm like, right. I, I don't, I don't even, you know, and I, like my wife's looking at me like, don't you do it. Don't, I'm like, I mean, I would never say anything to anyone in public, but I I'm mean, just, I mean, SeaWorld's, SeaWorld's pretty brutal. So I actually <laughs> understand how the kids are like, I can't look, but like, that is crazy. That, mm. That's crazy. How much is all of this impacting teenagers in terms of not being able to sit in uncomfortable moments? Like having the phone as a crutch to avoid talking to strangers, making eye contact, all mm. those things. Yeah. So I, it is impacting on our ability to read body language, social cues, um, all those sorts of things, as you mentioned. Um, and certainly it is also impacting our ability to have those hard conversations. Have we lost the soft skills to be able to have a, a difficult conversation with a, with a teammate or a boss or whatever it may be? And that's not the fault of everyone. If you look at the generations here, we, we just have a generation of um, these people coming through that don't have those skills because both of your kids, um, Jen and Sarah, you know, in 10 years time, if they're working in some business or something, if, if they've not had these boundaries, then they've lost some of those neurons and that ability to read emotions and read and sit in social uh, emotional, um, you know, discomfort, uh, it becomes really difficult. So what are some of the warning signs around, you know, smartphone addiction? One of them is, are you using, um, you know, a smartphone to alleviate uh, uncomfortable feelings, right? Um, and, and, and I mean, that's one of the sort of ticker box questionnaire ones that we use in how to say no to your phone. Um, because so many of us are, any of those uncomfortable moments, we just replace it with what's in our phone. Oh, listen, I think we're all looking, I think half of us are in autopilot. Half of us are just, cr- we are cruising. We are asleep at the wheel. We are so fucking numbed out. And it's really bad. Guys, I am showered. I'm sitting here doing these ads with my silky, clean, full hair that I just washed with the Vegamore 
revitalizing shampoo and conditioner. You know what it is? It's the best lather and it's the best smell. And I also know that I'm not putting harsh, toxic chemicals into my scalp, which are seeking into my body. So that also makes my uh, shampoo and conditioning process more enjoyable. They also have a serum that I put down the middle, you know, on my scalp, all over the sides that have fully, I don't know, my hair looks amazing. Granted, I work hard at it, but this serum is actually incredible. Every 15 seconds, they're selling this, this hair grow serum. Okay. Trust me, get the shampoo conditioner and that serum. You will thank me. They also have this thing. It's called Grow Ageless, and it's a total gray prevention protocol. I suggest definitely getting on that ASAP. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. So for a very limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash foster. Use the code foster at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash foster code foster to save 20% off your first order. Vegamore.com slash foster code foster. True story, Montana sent me a text about a week ago with a picture of my skims box. And she said, I'm not kidding when I say I'm considering an intervention. I, I, I buy more skims than I buy favorite daughter. And that is just the truth because I feel like they're constantly coming out with something new that is perfect. They're the perfect sweats, the perfect bra, the perfect underwear, the perfect pajamas, the perfect swimwear, the perfect loungewear, the perfect robe, the perfect, you know, sexy lingerie stuff, the perfect socks. I, I don't even, and to be clear, I am friends with Kim, not to, you know, brag or anything, but I do not get a discount. I'm buying this stuff full price because I just love it so much. They have a bra, the wireless form t-shirt bra, no wires. It is so soft. It makes your boobs look like the perkiest, roundest, most full boobs you've ever seen. I'm wearing it pretty much every day. All right, shop Skims bras and everything else at skims.com. Now available in 62 sizes, the bras from 30A to 46H. Plus get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know that we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey. Please select our show at the drop down menu that follows. Sarah's daughter and my son are best friends and they've, and they've been best friends their whole life, right? Since the day they were born. And it's the cutest thing in the whole world. And I can say, again, Sarah and I have done a lot of things, not great as parents, so we could go into that, but like, we always brought them to every dinner with us. We always sat with them. We always hung out with them, right? We right. forced them to have conversation with us. And they're like, great people, people like they can hang out with anybody, any age, they can talk to any age. And I find that like, cause I was going to, and again, my son has got to chill on the iPhone, but if I was going to ask you, or we were going to say, okay, there are parents that have started the iPads at dinner, right? Mm -hmm. 
at a young age. So these kids are already like their brain is thinning. There's already a problem. And these parents are like, you know what? I worked all goddamn day. I am exhausted. I am at the end of my rope. Like you said, my husband and I, we just want to have a glass of wine and have 30 minutes at dinner. And if this is the way we're going to do it, like, so be it. We're great parents in any other way. Or they're like, what do you want me to do now? How do I stop? How do I actually pull the iPad away? How do I actually pull the iPhone away in in these circumstances? Because we've already gone down that path. How can we do it where the kid isn't melting, freaking out? Like, what's the alternative? Yeah. It's probably different, right? For a three-year-old and a 15-year-old, I would imagine. Or For is it the sure. same? Yeah. I mean, so it, there are differences, but um, all of these steps are in the tech diet for your child and teen. And then as you were pointing out before, Jen, especially in the last couple of years, there is this sort of pandemic, if you will, of parents who are so stressed out, so busy, yeah, just true. out of control, right? And 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 this is the topic of my third book, um, which I can't talk too much about, but it's basically about busy adults and technology and, and how do we all become so busy at work and and how does technology interact with that? Because that's a fundamental issue in society rather than just a parenting issue. Um, but to answer your question about how do you actually take it? And also, you know, with reference to your son, here we go. We'll add your son to the list of kids around the world that hate me after this. Um, so what typically traditionally we say, or most experts will say, just take that phone from him. How old is he, Jen? 15? 14. 14. Okay. Good luck taking a phone from a 14 year old boy. Totally. That's going to turn into what I call guerrilla warfare. Like it's, literally going to be even if you can get it off him without things sparking um, and again that's not his fault that's just the fact that dopamine being taken away and all that persuasive design will have him trying to get it back i've then seen kids in clinic that will you know you put it on the kitchen counter you put it in the family safe wherever it is i've seen kids rappel down three-story windows with bed sheets right like shawshank oh. style for their phone oh. Um, I've seen kids that have not been to school for two or three years because they're quite happy on their technology. They have not gone to school. And so that's the extreme end. But physically taking a device is actually really difficult to do, especially when they get to the teenage years. So typically what I recommend is you can use software parental controls, screen time, things like that. But you have to understand they're really easy to get around. Yeah. If he has a VPN or if he changes the world clock, I mean, there are a million ways to get around these things. And you ask yourself, why are they so porous? We have the most smart people in the world building these things. How are they so easy to get around? But anyway, um, that aside, the most foolproof way that I typically use is we place limits on the amount of Wi-Fi and mobile data. Sorry, cell phone data. I'll Americanize it. Um, and so if you think, how much cell phone data do your kids have? They have unlimited? Probably. Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. So I, I, I think probably. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I have, I have, I have screen time where I have to put in a password yep. for more, but she has, to your point, found ways around it. Even though, sorry, is that your youngest? You mean? Sarah? No, no. My youngest oh. is a nod. My, my right. eight year old is, is not even On. like she plays Roblox occasionally By when the way, she wants I, to, but I didn't is. even, I didn't even tell you Sarah, because I was getting annoyed with Otis and Sarah called me the other day and she had had a thing with her 13 year old about this, the phone. And she was like, Oh, I really lost it today. And we were talking it out. And then the next night I went into Otis's room, my son, and it was 10 45 at night. And he was on 
the iPad or the phone. I forget the iPad phone. I forget what it was. I was like, babe, it's 1045 at night. Time to shut it down. Who are you talking to? He said, V. And I was like, oh, and I know, I know Sarah already gave her like a limit the night before. They had already gone through it. I was like, V, you're not allowed to be on the phone. She's like, I know, I know. And Otis is like, we're getting off. We're getting off. I was like, okay, okay. And I'm like, I'm not even going to tell Sarah because she will literally... Like, I, I love V. V is like my other daughter. So yeah. I was like, I don't even want to see her get in trouble tonight. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, every and that was and that was a night where I was on set and Tommy had just gotten back from Australia and fell asleep. And that is exactly it. If we are not physically here yep. to take because we take her phone away every night at 915. But yep. it is either I am physically taking it and it is a fight every night, even though she knows 915 is the cutoff, right? Yep. She, it is a fight every night. Mom, five more minutes. I'm doing my homework. Wait, she's helping me with this math. I mean, she's an addict. Like she's so, lying. She's, she's literally lying. She's a no. scholar. And, she's doing her homework. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that's a huge one, right? That is a massive problem. Let's, but I'll, I'll come back to that. So for this issue, you've both just illustrated my point here. It turns into this guerrilla warfare where it's like, you mm-hmm. know, is it 9.15? What time is it? Do I have homework? The history teachers can get me in trouble. Then you go, well, you should have done that earlier. And then we end up in this just never-ending conversation, right? It's what I call teenage logic, right? Which is to say that it, there is no logic to it because it just goes round and round. So fundamentally, all of these devices are only as good as their Wi-Fi connection. They are hopeless without it, right? It's like all three of us being back at that age. There was no Wi-Fi, right? It was like dial-up internet for me, it was at that time anyway. And so this stuff is far less addictive without the connection. That's the reality of it. The devices themselves are not the actual issue. The Wi-Fi connection is the issue. Wait, so we're supposed to cut off the Wi-Fi so then we can't use it either? Ah, hang on. So here's here's the key. <laughs> so what you do is, I, I know far more about the technological side of this than I ever cared to 15 years ago when I became a psychologist. Um, so there's two ways that you get Wi-Fi. It's through cell phone data and it's through your home Wi-Fi, okay? The first one with your Wi-Fi you can, most family homes have what's called a mesh router system, which is, you know, the router that you have there that that has extenders all over the house and everything. So I've got one that's got four extenders and they typically have um, parental controls on there where you can see all the devices on there. You can see what's running. You could sit in your bedroom and see that her phone is running on the Wi-Fi. You know, right? But you can also group them in most of these mesh routers. So one of the ones that I, um, and I have no financial dealings with this company but tp link is a um i think you've got it there in the states uh they've got a series called the deco series d-e-c-o and you know um well, i have them in my family home here fundamentally it allows you to have different profiles and so each of your kids would have their phone their ipad their um you know laptop uh on their profile you can go to your app at 9 15 and pause all of the wi-fi to their devices instantly right without actually physically having to take it now you still want to get that phone if you can but fundamentally you can just it's your extra layer of protection but that only works if you limit their cell phone data as well and so this is very difficult to do because most cell phone companies in australia you know one of our major ones um, had this data breach recently and they said oh we're going to do to apologize to you is we're going to give every prepaid plan an extra 150 gigs for christmas Every parent meltdown, please do not do that. Oh my gosh, right? So if you limit both of those things, if a a teenager has 
10, 15 gigabytes, something like that. Enough they can socialize. I'm not trying to stop them from socializing. Enough they can get around and do stuff. But what you'll find is that there is actual natural limits on that stuff because they're running out of Wi-Fi and data. Okay, so that's genius. And I love that. Did we cover, because I I, I want to cover like, my audience hates that I ask questions and then I always interrupt and then never actually let the expert finish. Um, did we cover the exact signs to look out for to know if yep. your kid is addicted? Because we've got to get that. Let's do that. So there are five main areas that I look at that are red flags for any parent sitting there. Um, and we can go through diagnostic criteria. It's really boring stuff. Okay, let's just, for, for, you, for your basic parent at home. So the five areas are emotional development, social development, behavioral, education, and health. So let me just run through those. Emotional development is if you're taking a phone or a device and you're getting massive explosions, okay, and most kids are going to, yeah, I mean, most teens are going to get a little bit surly. No, I, I literally say to her, which is bad parenting, I literally go, are you on fucking drugs? Are you, this is drug. Yeah. You're like, this is literally what I dated a heroin addict when I was 17. And this is what it looked like. And right. I, I should never say that to my teenager. That's very not great parenting, but I, I, I become so enraged because I don't know what to do. I I'm just, I feel helpless. And Sarah, that's the response that most parents give because they're so frustrated and worried for their kids. They're so concerned that we get very, what we call high attention, high emotion in our parenting. We just, we, we, we lose it, right? And so the whole point of the Wi-Fi and cell phone data one is it's supposed to be a lower attention, lower emotion, a calmer version of that. So you don't have to have those screaming matches like that. But if we come back to the warning signs, emotional development is one. Now, we just have to put this in context. Most teenagers have emotional ups and downs. Okay, that's what makes them teenagers. Their prefrontal cortex and their amygdala are not fully developed. In fact, for girls, it doesn't fully develop until sort of like early 20s. For boys, it's more like early 30s. Um, and those parts of the brain are responsible for emotion control and impulse control. So again, remember what I said before, that idea that like they need to just learn how to manage their own use. Yeah, sure. Okay. Tell that to the prefrontal cortex, right? Like it just neurologically is silly. So we need to understand that they are going to go up and down. But if you're getting these huge spikes, then that would be a red flag in the emotional development path. On the social front, if you're finding that they don't go out and do a lot of face-to-face -face socialization, if it's impacting that, because I've seen kids that have literally not been out you know, and compare them to other kids and where they're supposed to be that age, say grade, I don't know, nine, you would expect them to be going to the movies, going to the mall, going to see like my American language there, going to all of these different places. If they're not doing that, if they're just in their room and you're saying, why don't you go out with your friends? And they're saying, well, I don't need to, I've got them right here. That's an impact on social development. And I would imagine that's big in, in gaming, right? Because like you can still do your TikTok and bullshit when you're out at the mall, but for gaming, you really need to be home. Yeah, correct. Yeah, absolutely. I also imagine that causes like deep depression and oh. so many just... Half the kids, half the kids that are come over to my house are like, oh, well, I have ADD. Yeah. I'm like, you do not have ADD. Okay, yes, some of them maybe, maybe some of them do. That's a real thing and yep. a real, a real, a real thing. But a lot of them have, they just have no clue how to self-regulate. They have no clue 
they don't have the tools because their parents have never, ever, ever instilled anything in that. I mean, you're the expert. I'll let you finish. No, oh, no, no. I, I completely agree. ADD is the fad. It's the flavor of the month at the moment, and it's completely overdiagnosed in Australia. Um, but anyway, um, so that's we, we've done emotional and social development for red flags. If we look at behavioral, what we see is, you know, we start with verbal arguments um that can be pretty big again many teenagers would do that already primary school kids maybe less so but if you're taking roblox um, which by the way roblox not a great idea but anyway um i'll leave that to the side so uh you know there'll be verbal arguments then we move up to property destruction so that's you know if you're going to take my phone i'm going to smash this glass i'm going to punch a hole in the wall um, at least once a month in my clinic, I get a family that has a, a apprehended violence order against the kid, like the police have been out and literally had to arrest the kid because of this. Um, and so you get physical aggression then at, at the pointy end, right, and assault. And and I'm not trying to make out like every kid gets there. I'm just saying that's the slippery slope. Oh, no, Valentina threw her a photo. Now, you know, I it was like one of those moments like, okay, it's 9.15, give me the phone. Mom, you know, it's not fair. I've been at volleyball. I, I just got home. I need more time to, you know, unwind, blah, blah. I said, give me your goddamn <laughs> phone. She, I, I, I ripped it out of her right. hand and I walked out and I heard it. She had taken her a picture frame on the, you know, it didn't break. If it had a broken, I would have grounded the shit out of her. But, you know, I, I was like, oh my God, she threw an object. She yeah. threw out of this anger that all of her friends, but it's really FOMO, all of her friends are about to get on a group call and mm. she's going to miss out. So yeah. it's all these things in one. It's the addiction to the this and I got to see who liked my TikTok, but I'm also going to then now miss out on this group call that all my friends are going to be in. Then I won't be included in the plan that they're making for the weekend. It's like a domino effect of yes. all those things. It's, it's, a, it's, uh, it's hyperpersonal effect. It's social comparison theory. It's egonic effect. It's dopamine effect. It's all of them wrapped in one. Right. Um, so that's the, that's the behavioral side of things. The, um, uh, so we've done social, emotional behavior, education. Okay. So this is a real tricky one. Typically what we find is that um, kids start to, you know, not do their homework. Uh, now, I want to put that in context. Most sort of middle school, high school kids, like, are they really going to do their math homework if the teacher's not going to check? No. I mean, I didn't. Um, and so let's not all go, oh, my gosh, they've got a screen addiction because that happens. A lot of that's normal teenage stuff. But what you start to see is not getting assignments or assessments, you know, tasks in on time. Uh, you get these explosions at 10 o'clock at night. Like I've got that geography assessment. Why didn't you do it earlier? Oh, I didn't know. And then we, it's just this, this, yeah, is this sounding familiar, Sarah? I mean, it's basically you're checking off, it's checking off every box except for really this, like she's out all the time and plays right. club vo volleyball and is excelling yep. in that and getting better. But yeah, I'm basically checking yeah. all the boxes, yeah. And and so um, again, then you start to see sort of missing a bit of school, missing some assessments, uh, and then, you know, at the very pointy end, I've mentioned to you guys, kids, unfortunately, that haven't been to school for two or three years, um, which is crazy. And we get this huge influx as well in home learning, homeschooling, that, you know, because of COVID, all these parents went, oh, well, they don't want to go to school. That's fine. Let's just let them learn online. That is 99.9% .9 of the time a really bad idea, right? That is only going to make things a lot worse. And again, they're not getting any of their social and emotional needs met doing that online. The last one, health, 
health is not technically a developmental domain in the true sense of like child psychology. But what I mean for that one is uh, exercise, impact on exercise, impact on sleep, impact on hygiene. So your daughter, Sarah, it sounds like she's still getting her exercise in and everything. And so that's not a big issue. But if she came to you and said, hey, mom, I don't want to play volleyball because some girls on the team were a bit, you know, mean or the coach was mean, then that's the point where we need to be saying, okay, that's fine, but pick another sport. But we oh, don't yeah, do yeah, that no. very often as parents, right? We just go, oh, okay, well, I guess you can run every now and then around the block or something. So, you know, recently, um, just a few weeks ago, uh, one of the major TV networks in Australia, we um, we did this camp that they filmed uh, on an island, felt a little bit like Survivor, but it wasn't. Um, and so it was kids with screen addiction that came from around the country um, and we filmed it. Um, and so we did our treatment program myself and my research partner, Professor Warburton, and 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 we had families and kids like in a school camp, right? 48 hours of the school camp. What struck me was just how tired these kids were. I mean, some of them were doing 12, 14, 16 hours of screen time a day. They were exhausted. Like we do like a canoeing thing, you know, like a, a typical school camp canoeing thing for like an hour. These kids fell asleep in the afternoon like on the table in the middle of a session, they exhausted. Well, that's something that I think we do not talk enough about, about absolute, the absolute sleep deprivation. It's like right. a, it's like a epidemic. How fucking tired this generation is. Like truly, uh, I think it leads to so many more things that go misdiagnosed. I think a lot of the times we're like, oh, my kid's so irritable. My kids are just like, how much sleep does yep. your kid get? We forget that 13 year olds still need like, 11 hours sleep or something like that. And and so you mentioned the domino effect, right, which is a term that is in, in one of my books as well. It's the snowball effect. So if you are up late at night and you're up until 11 o'clock when you're supposed to really be in bed at like 9.30, you go to school and the teacher says, where's your homework? I don't have it. Well, you're in trouble. Well, then all of a sudden you're telling the teacher that, you know, there is so-and-so and Sarah's getting a phone call, um, you know, Jen's getting a phone call and it just, it snowballs. All of these developmental domains, they snowball and over months and months, it can get pretty um, catastrophic in some cases. So that's in a nutshell, all of those red flags that we we're talking about, but sleep is the biggest one for parents. If you have kids that are up really late at night um, or Waking in the middle of the night is a pretty common one. Set an alarm for 1 a.m. so I can do stuff online. Or for younger kids, we saw more wow. and more that they would wake up at 5, 6 a.m. Mom and dad are asleep. I'll grab the iPad. They've had like three hours of screen time before you even wake up, right? But there's a sleep deficit there, which impacts everything. Well, Jen, you always said sleep promotes sleep. So, the, you know, you think like, oh, you know, the, the, right, the night before the flight, keep the kids awake because then they'll sleep the whole flight wrong. They will be wired. They will yeah. not sleep because they are overtired, right? So all these kids, they are so overtired. Yeah. Oh, you There's never a moment that their mind can shut down. There's never a moment that there's not something going, happening, an ability to, you know, be stimulated, not be bored, talk to a friend. All right, I'm down to talk about Foria without Aaron. Like, it's just weird talking about Foria with your little sister. I'm not trying to talk about, you know, having the best orgasms of your life with my little sister. Call me prude, call me weird. 
I don't care what you call me. It's just, you know, we were not raised in a open family, I guess. But since she is not here, let's, uh, let's discuss. Foria has a sex oil that I wish I could share messages are just a little too graphic from people that have written in saying, thank you so much for turning me on to Foria. I and my partner are having better orgasms than we have ever had in our life. 92% of people, this is a real statistic, that have used Foria felt more aroused. 92% also reached an orgasm. And let's be honest, not everybody is orgasming when they are having sex, but you deserve better than that. So when I tell you guys, there's a cult following to this stuff, okay? Hundreds of thousands of people are using Foria and are giving testimonials saying that their sex lives have been transformed, okay? So I think it's time for you to get on this train. You have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself or your partner to Foria. Foria is offering a special deal only for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash foster or use code foster at checkout. That is F-O-R-I-A wellness dot com forward slash foster for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their new massage oil combined with their awaken arousal oil. Yes, you will thank me later. So, you know, they all take their phones to school. Some schools, they go, keep it in your backpack. If we see your phone, it gets taken away. Or um, some schools, they uh, you have to turn them in, right? There's All schools are different. So at my kid's school, I think at your kid's school, Jen, they don't take the phones. They're just I, told they can't use them. I think in starting in high school, you, you can use them. You can yeah. use your phone. But when they were at elementary school, and or not elementary, my kids didn't have it, but junior high, they mm -hmm. had to turn it in in a basket in the morning. Right. So my daughter admitted to me that everybody goes on Amazon and for about 10 bucks, you can get a fake, like a, something yeah. that looks like, like an iPhone. Right. Yeah. So they all, so they all turn those in. So Valentina was like, yeah, I go to the bathroom in between classes or I'll be like, oh, I have to pee and I'll go to the bathroom and I'll do a TikTok or mm -hmm. I'll look on snap and see like what friends have snapped me. And she admitted to me that the days when I do not let her, you know, when, when she, you know, the only punishment at this point with these kids are you've lost your phone. You've lost your privilege to see friends. You've lost your privilege to go out for dinner, right? Like these are the ways at least that I, you know, punish that these are my consequences. Mm. So when she does X, Y, and Z, she is not allowed to take her phone to school. And she admitted to me that on those days, she is more engaged in class. Yep. She is focusing she is doing better, which then makes her feel better about herself. She goes, because I know I don't have this thing inside of me. Like, oh, I got to go see. Like, I got to go to the bathroom and see if that boy from that other school snapped me. Mm. Like, yeah, hello, and, duh. <laughs> and, and I mean, as far as consequences go, typically what we talk about is using short and sharp consequences that are actually ironically Wi-Fi time. So if she doesn't do what she's supposed to do, then if she's got three hours the next day of home Wi-Fi, you just take an hour off. Um, right. because then we, you know, you've got many more, you've got more wiggle room there 
Um, because sometimes when we do this whole, you know, you're grounded enough taking your phone for a week, you end up going, oh gosh, you said to your husband, what do we do now? Like, I mean, it's, she's got nothing to lose. Like it's, it's a bit of a dangerous situation here. So we try to keep them a bit short and sharp um, with that. And also, I mean, I, I think I sent you both um, some books if they've arrived yet, but that my second book that hasn't come out in the US, I think it comes out later this year, but it's out in the UK and Australia and Europe. Um, How to Say No to Your Phone is this um, sort of like beautifully illustrated version here of like um, for teens and tweens, right? Now, I'm under no illusion that your daughter is going to go, oh my gosh, can I please read that book? I'd love to learn more about that. (laughs) Typically what it is for is supposed to be so that parents or grandparents, aunts, uncles um, can sit down with their young person to say, hey, look, let's just read this chapter together and let's just have a discussion about it to try and build some awareness and education in. But that doesn't replace the fact that the dopamine pull is still going to be pretty high. So you're still going to need to put in those boundaries. All right, we need to get to questions. I don't know what your heart out is, but you know, my therapist said to me, he's like, Sarah, that's so great that you take her phone away at 9.15, that you literally, like you need the jaws of life to get it out of her hand, but good for you that you get it out of her hand every night. That is like putting a Band-Aid on the problem. You need to get to a point where she goes, hey mom, okay, here's the phone, I'm done, where she doesn't feel like she needs it past a certain time. Now, granted, he is older kids, so maybe he... I don't know how you feel. Like, what do you think about that? Because in my mind, I'm like patting myself on the back. Like, I have boundaries. I take the phone away every single night at 9.15. Yeah. So I think I think your therapist's intention around wanting to get to that point is amazing. That's where we all want to get. But we shouldn't, and again, this comes back to not shaming the parents of the world, that that's the way that it should be. Neurologically, in the way that these devices are designed, it's very difficult to do that. And so again, think of it similar to that um, that diet analogy that we had before. If you said to your kids, you can eat whatever you want to eat, you know, Uber Eats and all these things are free, like just order whatever you want to eat. I mean, I don't know about your kids, mine are younger, but like <laughs> getting McDonald's and pizza and everything, like, they're not going to be eating a healthy diet, vegetables and stuff. There's no way they'll be doing that stuff. So this is similar. If we just give them full control, They don't have the prefrontal cortex to do that yet. And we want to get there. The idea is we want to stay calm enough so that you're not screaming at each other all the time so that when she is, you know, 17, 18, 19, we can have these, okay, well, look, you're an adult and you're going to have to make your own decisions here, but you know that you protected her brain, that her neural pathways are fairly safe, and that the longer you can wait and, and put boundaries around that, the better. In a similar way to a diet, when she goes off to college, I assume, or maybe not, um, she's going to eat whatever she wants to eat, right? You can't, you're not going to rock up and, and, and be putting food on a dinner plate. So I think that I agree with that. But at the same time, we shouldn't pretend like that is an easy thing to do for most parents. I'm seeing a lot of couples being not on the same page yeah. about about what the rules should be. Like, for instance, in my situation, it is truly, and I'm going to be very vulnerably honest here, it is, it is, I would say, the biggest issue in my in our relationship. You know, we've been together for 17 years. We have two kids. You know, relationships are hard. But this is this is the thing where I go, oh, if this will be the end of our relationship. Like, like truly the fights that happen right. because 
he's he's of the mindset listen this is the most disciplined guy you've ever met this was a professional athlete who got to mm. number two in the world you know like the 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 mind, the strong mindset you have to have to make it as a professional athlete is something that I definitely cannot relate to. But his, he's of the mindset of he doesn't even want her to have a phone. He right. doesn't, I'm like, and then I'm going, bro, do you want her to be a social outcast? Right. Like, that's like, the problem. So we are truly on opposite ends of the spectrum on how we think. Thank God our second kid, it's she doesn't, we're not dealing with it yet. Mm -hmm. And thank God she hasn't asked for it. But we truly, are not on the same page really about, and it's really hard. And to be honest, Sarah, that's that's half my job. Um, it, it's all of my research. My research is into parenting uh, around screens and gaming disorder and parent treatment models and stuff. And there's a lot of really great, um, I guess, encouraging results that we have that we're going to publish this year around that and how the impact you can make in doing this. Um, but that is half my job is getting parents both on the same page and, and, and where do you guys want to set the bar and I show you how to do it? Um, but it's really stressful for a lot of families. It is. I was just looking at all the questions that were coming in to Sarah and Aaron's followers. I mean, just from Sarah and Aaron's followers. Um, and I was going to say, if you could give a, an adult one tip, like if you were going to say, start here as an adult who we're all addicted to our, not all, I, I'm addicted to my phone. Hmm. So if I was going to get one tip to start, you know, getting my screen time down, what would you say? Where is a good place to start? You know, people are saying, I'm so addicted. Help me, yeah. but go slow. <laughs> so <laughs> go slow. Um, so your Wi-Fi, your Wi-Fi. Yeah. I mean, the Wi-Fi, but the problem is you as an adult, but I have you, control of that. you have control of it. Correct. I mean, in the same way, you know, I said to both of you, um, that I use screen time, but my wife has the password. And so that's typically something that I think is a starting point. If you're not happy with the amount of time you use on social media or just any of the apps, whatever it may be, or your phone, set up your own parameters and ask a partner, a friend, whoever to have the password. Um, it's a lot more powerful. I mean, we are laughing at ourselves if we think that we're not just going to override because that's what I did. I had screen time on. I just continue to put, oh, I just need five more minutes. I've got this business thing. I need this. I need to message this person. Um, and so give someone else the key, essentially. Um, I can except imagine that, Sarah and except I Except that we are no, <laughs> giving each other. And then arguing with each each other. Jen's, Jen's like, Sarah, 20 more on. minutes. 20 more minutes. <laughs> I, I need 20 like more minutes. I'm going to get a phone call at like midnight Australian time between the two of you going, she wants my passcode. I'm not going to give it to her. 100%. 100%. <laughs> All right, Jen, what step are you taking today? You know, I have a step now where I put it in the other room when I'm at the dinner table. By the way, Ooh. that was a big step for me because yep. dinner is like high, high. I'm still like in the thick of it. We have dinner early. So yep. I'm still like on the dopamine of like, how do we do today in the, in the this? Oh, did this offer come in? Oh, did this? I'm still like going, going, going. And it's really hard for me to, at that hour, disengage from it. But I now do. It is now in the other room when we're eating. So what what step are you going to take today? I think I think the one thing that I really want to do is when I get in bed at night, not be on the phone and read. Your life yep. will get better. So how are you going to do that, though, Jen? Where are you going to put your phone? Well, I haven't gotten that far. I mean, uh, put in the bathroom. I think there's going to be some bathroom stops in the middle of the night. 
Um, no, no, no. Once I go to bed, I go to sleep. Done? I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to like. That's the one thing I do. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't pick up my phone because if I look at my phone in the middle of the night, I'm smart enough to know I'm up for the next hour, if yep. not longer, just doing dumb shit. But I think that for me, that's my big thing is that like, there's books I want to read that I'm not getting to. And that's going to be my new thing. And I actually, before this, just put a book next to my bed. So tonight's going to be the first night that I get in bed, phone in the bathroom. Good for you. Somewhere in the closet. I don't know. So is it the same part of the brain when I take um, my daughter's phone away when she's like, okay, fine. And she goes right downstairs and turns on the TV, i.e. YouTube. You know, all they do is watch makeup tutorials, vlogs of these like weird, it's, is that the same part of the brain or different? Yeah, I mean, so fundamentally it is, and this is the thing, right? This is why that old adage from 10, 5, 10 years ago of just take the phone, be a better parent, you know, it's it's laughable. It works when you have like a five, six, seven-year-old for an iPad or something. It doesn't work beyond that. And I know we are not talking too much about gaming, but even if you look at gaming, um, if you say that, you know, you can have kids in my clinic where the parents will say, oh, they don't game from Monday to Friday. And then you ask the kid, oh, what are you doing? Oh, well, I'm, I'm just watching gameplay, which is other people gaming on YouTube or on Discord watching their friends game, right? How is that any different? I mean, you're not interactive there, so it's slightly less persuasive design, but it doesn't change the outcome that you're still having impacts on emotional development, social, education, behavior, and health. And so we can't just replace one thing for another. That's like me saying to you, Uh, If I come to you and I say, Sarah, you know what? I'm an alcoholic and I really can't drink. So please don't let me have a beer. Oh, no, sure. No problem. Would you like a whiskey? Oh, sure. I'll have a whiskey, right? It just, it it doesn't make any sense to replace one thing with another. So um, old school TV is sort of the exception. What I mean by that is if you watch a movie as a family, then okay, no problem, but not be all sitting there on your phones. Um, But any of those other things like YouTube, Instagram shorts, any of those short attention span ones, because they are configured, and I know you were talking about ADD before and everyone thinking they have it, they're configured to have a shorter attention span. If you look at the way that all of those streaming slash social media um, melds come together, they're short clips for a reason because they want to keep you engaged. Like for TikTok, I won't go on TikTok. Like I really try and not go on TikTok because all of a sudden I'm, I'm invested in other people's lives. And, you know, these like crazy things that I'm like, what did I, now I got to go into their story and find out this and find out that. I'm like, what about my life? What about my kids? What about my friends? But I'm all of a sudden for 30 minutes invested in some stranger that, you know, got, got a bad haircut now is suing the hair salon. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not my problem, but somehow- TikTok is a rabbit hole that is, it's very different from Instagram. It's for me as well. It is like, it's such riveting content and it's riveting content in like, you know, three minute long videos where Instagram is just like a a picture that you can quickly like or an outfit. You can quickly, whatever. Um, I'll just give you a TikTok anecdote here. I don't know if either of you have seen um, the CEO of TikTok in America was interviewed recently about uh, late last year. Um, and he was asked, so do you, you've got kids? Yes. I think he said like nine and seven or something. Do you give your kids TikTok? No, they're not allowed. Why? Ah! They're too young. 
how old are they? Seven and you know, seven and nine or something. They're too young. It's and it's hilarious. I mean, you can see the cogs turning in this guy of like, oh man, shouldn't have said that, you know. And then he goes down this. We've got parental controls and we've got this and we've got that. But I mean, it was too late. He'd already let out that he doesn't give his own kids the platform. That should tell us everything we need to know. That's what I was going to say. We have a lot of women listening who have um, either very young children or who are thinking about becoming a parent soon or, you know, in the future. How can they instill healthy relationships with their kids and technology yeah with the ever-changing you know god knows in five years are we all everyone going to have their own robot like i don't know yeah (laughs) i mean (sighs) yes they probably will but um so for if we just focus on that really young age fundamentally when your child is under two years old you're really supposed to have zero screen time um, you know, we've all seen the videos of like babies trying to swipe a phone or swipe a, a you know, a, a photo or something. And it, it, it's, you know, I mentioned before, and I went through that whole neurological pathway and how we get to that point at age three of when they start to prune. It is so important that that we don't interrupt that phase. Now, I should preface that by saying I am not a perfect parent. So I didn't do that. There are exceptions to every rule. Yeah. When we had an 18 month old, my daughter was 18 months old. She had to go to hospital for some reason. She was there fasting for like eight hours because they were running behind. We had an iPad, right? We were on a long flight. I might have an iPad. That There are some times there where I just strategically go, okay, look, you know, I'm not going to try and be a superhero here, right? We've just got to all survive. The airplane thing. Sorry. Yeah. Nope. No one's taken away those iPads from me. Sorry. <laughs> that is the one place where I'm like, and and they know it too. Yeah. Especially, I mean, the younger one knows it. She knows that is the only place that she's ever going to have yep. full, you know, whatever. And that's, that's okay. But when it becomes a daily, you wake up at 7am, they're getting yeah, on, yeah, yeah. you know, TV or whatnot, then it becomes really difficult. Between the ages of like two and five, An hour or two is okay, and typically this is when you can be more clear about the content. So what that means is... um, Like math games, right? Math games? like Yeah, co-piloting stuff. You know, there's reading eggs, math games and stuff, but co-piloting. Co-piloting means that that screen time is okay, but it's only really okay if you're kind of sitting there next to them, interacting with them and showing them. If you just stick them in front of an iPad for two hours, that's not really what they're saying about two hours is okay. So... It's really difficult in those first um, few years, but you want to steer away from getting to three, four or five and going, okay, well, I'm working from home and they're sick from daycare or school or preschool. And so they're on screens for like six or seven hours. That would not be ideal for their neurological development. Parents who are like justifying it by being like, oh, they're doing educational games on the iPad. That is actually not good. Um, So the science would say that when you get over two or three, that an hour or two of that is okay. But what they mean by that is when you're co-piloting. So that literally is you sitting there next to them, helping them with it. It's not sticking them in front of and letting them have at it. Now, the reason that that sets you up for problems later is because when you get kids, your kids age, Jen and Sarah, you know, you can say, you know, you, how often do your kids go, oh, I'm just on math games, right? And it's like you go in there and they're on TikTok and, and then they're flicking screens, right? So it, it never works out that way. But the other take home for parents with young kids as well is that also means you have to be careful not to be on screens. You know, you see parents that are on, and I'll, you know, as a dad, maybe I'll just throw dads under the bus here, typically dads that are gaming and stuff, 
and they you know their babies their 12 month old babies are like sitting there looking at them game and it just it's just something that really we we need to try to limit um, the amount that we're doing it as well all right what about 12 year olds what what's the you know, the, the, around that age, 11, 12, 13, what are, what's the exposure that is somewhat okay? So all indications um, from our research lab are that that transition into, um, I think you guys call it junior high, is that around 13? Yeah, year seven, grade seven? Uh, yeah, 12, 12, 12 is usually. 13, yeah. Yeah. So that transition from sort of 10 or 11 to 12, 13 is actually one of the most critical periods. Uh, and so you can have early warning signs, but for the most part, just taking the phone and having arguments the old school way will work for like to, to a degree for an eight, nine, 10 year old. It doesn't work for a 12, 13, 14 year old. So there's a really critical transition period there. And some of the advice for parents would be to limit the amount of devices that they have. You know, the worst thing we can do is buy them an iPhone for Christmas or a phone for Christmas, or a device for Christmas. Because Okay, sorry, Sarah. Sarah's got her hands up for anyone listening at home. So um, the reason that that's not ideal is because that device then becomes theirs, yeah? You try and take it back, this is mine. You gave it to me for Christmas, right? So for most technology, we try to steer more towards this is mine as a parent. I am loaning it to you, but it's mine, okay? Um, and... That is just an easier way to transition into if you don't want that because you're not using it responsibly, then you can save up and buy one yourself. Now, what that looks like in older years is I've had kids 14, 15, 16 that go out then and, and they get a job to buy a gaming computer or a laptop or a phone. And what I say to that is perfect. They're out working, socializing, having emotional you know, uh, regulation issues. I mean, all this stuff is 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 what you want as a parent anyway. Oh my God. Are you, are you think there are, I think so many women, I'm just looking at these questions. So many women are like, oh my God, I don't want my kid to have ADHD. I don't want my kid to be addicted to what are, what people are terrified of this. I'm like looking at all the questions. Yeah. I mean, so look, there is a link with ADHD, ADD, um, but we don't know whether it's a, 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 a correlation in the fact that, you know, screens are increasing the rates of ADHD or whether it just comes hand in hand that people with ADHD are more likely to um, to be prone to screens. And what it, what we think it comes back to is that both of those co cohorts, people with screen issues and ADHD, if you give them an IQ test, a neurological test, um, <clears throat> excuse me, they... Um, they struggle in certain areas called processing speed and um, and working memory, typically. Um, so I, I don't think the parents out there have to worry that doing this is going to give them ADHD. But if you speak to any elementary school teacher, and my brother is a, a primary school teacher here, right? Um, and if you if you think about them coming in at age five, six, seven, most teachers in Western countries will tell you that the rates of attention and concentration problems and behavioral issues um, are, are, are really high. Like 15 years ago, they used to say you'd get like one or two in a class. And now you've got like five, six. And how is that possible? Um, because again, ADHD and all these other issues didn't just skyrocket. To me, I think we're going to find out in the future that that has a lot to do with everything we've been talking about today. No doubt. I mean, I, look, I was the last, my daughter was the last to get a phone. She was 12. 
she was the, and it was like, everyone was like, oh my God, your daughter doesn't have a phone. Like, you know, and this was a year ago. So she just turned 13. And I only gave it to her because I was like, oh, well, everyone else has it. So that's, that was the sort of the thing. I mean, I would have held out, but I'm like, all the other parent, what, what do I do here? Now my daughter is feeling left out, not in with, you know, all the things that we talk about. Right. So, like, what are, first of all, and, you know, Tom used to always say, he used to always say, like, well, we need to get on an email chain with all the friends and the, with all the friends' parents. Like, that's what needs to happen. I go, Tommy, that's never going to happen. All her yeah. parents, all her friends' parents, like, they're fine with their kids having phones. And he's like, I, I promise you, they're not. They're not. We got to, if we all get together, we'll all, we can all take them away. I'm like, are you insane? It's it's, it's a lovely thought. Um, I know. No, and, and, and you know what? Tommy's right about something. Oh, no, he's part right of, about part all of, of this. Like... Part of this is about a community. If a community of parents work together, like you two did with you, you know, your, your two children being besties, if you work together, then there's less social pull because, you know, if she's asleep, then he's asleep, et cetera, et cetera. But it's difficult because the friend network is so huge. It's like hundreds of kids, so you can't do that. One of the ways we get around that um, – there's a new phone that's out. Uh, it's actually developed in Australia, but it's it's um, sold on Amazon in, in America, I think, uh, called the G-Me phone, G-M-E-E phone. And, and there are other versions of this as well. Think of it as it's a it looks like a smartphone, but it has none of the software on there. And so they've yeah, we built have it. it. We, we, got we it? have it. No, we have, well, we have a version of it. We have it. And the new, you know, it's starting, it's, she's, it's already started, but she, that's what she'll take to school. Where yep. she can What's just your call. version called? I think it was a Motorola. Okay, so like a dumb phone, they yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Tommy bought it on yep. Amazon, and at first I was like, "Good luck." Yeah, and he's like, "What do you mean, good luck? We are the parents. This yep. is we. This is this is how it goes. We're not taking away her phone, but she is not taking a smartphone to school. She already told us she focuses better when she doesn't have it. She's telling us. Yeah, she you know like kids want boundaries. Kids crave boundaries. Yeah, I mean, so these sorts of phones and, and and there's different models out there. That I mean, the Jimmy phone is what I'm familiar with because he tested it in my clinic and basically gave it to a whole bunch of kids that are on the extreme end of the scale and I challenged them. I said, find a way around it. One kid did and he literally like reworked the entire thing back into factories in China. Um, that's how dedicated this guy was to finding a real solution, right? I mean, it was not just like lip service, like, oh, let me try and patch that hole. So fundamentally... Any phone that looks like a smartphone, so you don't look like you're ostracized. But a lot of these phones don't have cameras. So the Jimmy phone doesn't have a camera. <clears throat> so for that eight to sort of 12, 13-year-old phase is really important. But what it also does is it allows you to lock down apps really well. So they have no access to the Google Play Store or the you know App Store, can't download TikTok, can't download. So what you were saying, Sarah, about still want them to be socially included you can make an actual decision about what apps they get and they don't get and when they get it with a phone like that at a more micro level. And I know most parents will be sitting there going, oh, but all the iPhones and all the other phones, you know, you can do that as well. They're all software designed. And anything that implements that with software is very porous. It's easy to get around. These sorts of phones are hardware. It's very difficult to get around them. Can you, but you can't FaceTime because there's no, there's no <clears throat> camera? Um, I don't believe you can then. Yeah. That, but it's, so again, it's not designed to be for your 15, 16, 17 year olds, cause that would ostracize them. It's supposed to be the training wheels of, I want them to be able to call. I want them to be able to message. 
Maybe I want them to have one messenger app so they can message their friends and be included on who's going to the mall after school. But I don't want them to be able to download TikTok and all the other stuff and get on YouTube and everything. It's like, I want to say like to new mothers out there, like do yourself a favor, do yourself a favor, do your children a favor. Don't let them scroll on your phone. Don't, don't, when they're bored, don't hand them your phone. When they're, you know, of age, don't just give them an iPad. Trust me, if you need them, you want to let them watch a 20 minute, you know, educational show. I know there's great ones now out there. There weren't amazing ones, but Sesame Street or whatever it was at the time, Dora the Explorer, you want to give them a 20 minute show once a day. Okay. Make a plan for that. But like, you want to say to new moms and new dads out there, like, you think it's going to make your life easier? Trust me, it's a slippery slope. Like, find the other things for them to do. You guys, I remember I let um, Valentina once watch like 75 Doc McStuffins episodes in a row because I was hungover and I was home alone. And I was like, I, I will die. I will die. And I literally, I, she watched Doc McStuffins for like 17 hours. I just had to admit that. That felt good. Um, but, but again, but, Sarah, I think that's important because all of us are going to have days like that where just it hits the fan for whatever reason. Yeah. And, it, and it doesn't matter. If you have a slip like that, that's fine. But it's about the day-to-day. You know, if yeah, we're yeah, doing consistency. that. Consistency. Correct. Also, Jen did something, you know, Miss ba- No Boundary over here had a really great boundary with her two kids. She said, have at it. Here's your phone. Do whatever the fuck you want. But let me tell you something. If you put a password on that phone, if I can't get into your phone, she's like, I will not read your stuff. I I promise you. But you are not allowed to have um, a password on it. And I think that's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. Still, I have their password. Do you sneak on their phones? No, I never sneak on their phones. But um, I said to them, "If if you ever change your password... I'm taking your phones. I have to be able to get into your phone at all time. There was like once or twice where I had to look for something. I've never really gone into it. I've also, I also said to them when they were really young, I'm like, here's the deal with the internet. The internet, would you walk into like, would you walk down an alley in the middle of the night all alone without, without anybody there? They're like, what are you talking about? I was like, would you do it? No way. No way. I said, that's what the internet is. I said, you can see things on the internet you will never unsee. And it can scare the shit out of you. So while we're figuring out the internet, you're not allowed to go on it without me. You have to ask me to see things. So I think they also, they got kind of scared of the internet, which I was happy for them to be scared of the internet. Yeah. But yeah, I always said like, the moment your password changes, that phone is gone and the passwords have never changed. But by the way, guys, that is a good boundary because I am someone, I do snoop, unlike Jen. I go through it all. I look at the texts. I fucking look That's at it all. That's probably a good thing. I, I know. And I know he, no, no, Brad's like, that is not a good thing. <laughs> but but I do. And I, yeah. Okay. Can Sorry. we address this one? Yeah. Um, If you find something on there that you don't like, do you tell them? You know, luckily, I, ha- luckily, the truth is what, 
what it's actually done for me is given me peace of mind okay. that she is on the right track. I see her defending her friends. I see her not talking shit about people. I mean, sometimes I see her when people are saying, talking about like vaping or drinking, I say her saying things like, well, you're a loser. Like if mm. you do that, like, so I guess it's given me a little bit. Yeah. But there have been a few things right that I don't like. Yeah. And, and so I have told her I saw it. Yeah. So, he, okay, he, here's the issue. And I think this is good for any parents at home as well that are, you know, there's many experts that say you should snoop and you should listen to, and you should read every single message that your child has ever seen. And that's fine. But if you go down that path and you need to be prepared, if you see something that you don't like, you're going to have to raise it with them. Now, what happens in those conversations, because I've had it umpteen times in my clinic, is typically the teenager then gets very angry. Why are you staring at my phone? Why are you reading my phone? It's like, you know, did you guys ever have diaries? I can think like old school journals, you know? Uh, still do. Okay. Still do. <laughs> but if your parents went in and read your journal, it is, it's an invasion of privacy, right? And Awful, so yeah. the argument turns into why did you snoop on my phone? Not what was I saying to my friend, right? And, and then it all gets lost. And so it's it's just a nil-sum game. What is preferred is that you say to your kids, like Jen has done here, look, no password. And if I ever want to look in your personal stuff, I will ask you to sit down with you. We'll do it together. We'll do it together. Well, I didn't, that's very now, nice. I didn't, I got to, I do have to say, I didn't quite say it like that. When they yep. were learning the internet, I said, I have to do it with you. With you. But, but yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, there'd be parents back there going, oh, yeah, they're just going to delete stuff then. Sure. I mean, they could. Don't get me wrong. I'm not naive to that. But the fact is, if this is supposed to be a learning moment and the relationship's still strong, then it's important that you sit down and just say, hey, listen, you know, what did you say to, you know, Sally there? Do you think that was kind? Okay, well, let's try and be careful of that. If we go down the other path, all that happens is parents have this false sense of security that they know what their kids are doing online. So have either of you heard of what Bolt apps are? No. Okay, so a Bolt app is a type of app on a phone where you can hide other things in that app. So think of, okay, a calculator. You go on there and you say to your daughter, what's that calculator there? She opens it up, two plus two equals four. See, mum? But then she types in 2710, some secret password, and a whole other screen opens up. Oh, my and they God. Can Thank you, my other things God. in there, right? And so fault apps are essentially just if, if you say, I'm going to read through everything that you've ever got, A, they're going to cleanse everything that they've said, and B, they're going to leave some whole bunch of stuff in bolt apps. It just, oh my God. it ends up in this path to nowhere and all it does is erode trust. So we have to just accept that they're going to say what they say online. They're going to say some stupid stuff. They're going to do some stupid stuff because they're teenagers and they have an underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, but we need to try that communication. It all starts with us being on our phones less. This is what I'm saying to myself. If I'm on my phone less, if I'm doing things more with them, whatever age they are, and my phone's in the other room or it's in my purse or whatever it is, then they're, it's like they're learning, you know? Right. They, they're learning. they need to see you. They emulate us. Yeah, they are exactly. just They are mimicking our behavior. So if yeah. they see us reading books, they might go, oh, I mean, it might be too late for Ruby. She already, already reads books. But like in general, they are recreating what they're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, at almost two hours, we need to have you back because I feel like it's 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 in, like 
ever evolving conversation. And it's just, there's still so much more to discuss. Um, I know that people listening to this are going to want to know, are you available for coaching with couples to know how to navigate this who are struggling? Or do you coach with the child? Or how do you work if you're even, again, I know you have a 10,000 year wait list. Yeah. How does that work? Um, I, I mean, look, I, I typically have been doing um, seeing international families even since before COVID. And so that's not unusual. I have patients in Canada and the US and Saudi Arabia and all sorts of places. Um, but unfortunately, there is about a six month wait list. Um, you can go to unpluggedpsychologist.com.au and you'll see uh, my books, my speaking, uh, my clinic, everything else uh, there. I am on social media. Um, I'll be completely honest with you uh, on Instagram, Facebook, other places. I don't I don't manage that stuff for all the reasons we've talked about. I, I pay someone to do that. I mean, if you message me, you'll get a message from me, but it may take a little bit because, uh, you know, 20 minutes of social media a day doesn't allow me much and someone else manages it. But um, absolutely. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm around and, and I'll be in the U S, uh, a little bit this year as well. Um, we, we know where to find you. And if we're going to just leave, you know, one last takeaway, I guess, like to the parent listening, going, I I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna lose my mind. What is the first step before, of course, buying your books? What is the first step to take? And we're yeah, going to end it so up. For any parent that is just overwhelmed with everything we've talking about today, um, just focus on sleep. Sleep is sacred. And so if all you do is remove the devices or the Wi-Fi or the cell phone data around those sleep hours, just start there. Because that's the biggest domino effect that you can have the quickest. Amen. Amen. It's a great takeaway. All right. Well, you're doing God's work because, you know, this is the generation that's going to be running shit for all of us. and. I'm scared. So grateful to have people like you who are, who are, um, you know, this is very important work, work you're doing. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. This is a great conversation. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you liked it as much as we did. We have a big, big, big request for you. We we do. Please go leave a review. It makes a big difference for us. I was about to say, Aaron, don't sound so desperate, but we are a little desperate. We are a little desperate. We need you to leave a review. It's really important. And we don't ask you for anything. Two seconds. By the way, send a screenshot of your review and maybe we'll post it. Okay. Maybe we'll call you. Maybe we'll... Why are you rolling your eyes? Just every episode is going to say that now. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound... Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you... Do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, and Allison Bresnick. I'll take over. Our Our associate associate producer is Montana McBearney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great.